Welcome to Planttopia. I'm your host, David Godori, and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Planttopia. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite helpful to kind of carry over some of the understanding from this new virus pandemic threat that we face as, as humans to the threats that are posed to a crop like cassava. Um, and it's also interesting that some of the control approaches that we advocate are, you know, very much in line with the same kinds of approaches that are being advocated for management of COVID-19. On this episode... What happens when you apply the most advanced technology in one of the least technologically developed areas? Think about this. There is a farmer walking around in a developing country, applying a convolutional neural network to make decisions. This is a very powerful tool that I can see is going to have a very big impact in putting information into farmers' hands, helping them to diagnose the diseases and pests affecting their crops, and providing them with the information they need on how best to manage those pests and diseases. We think this is going to be a game changer for cassava in Africa. My name is James Legg. I've been working with the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture, which we refer to as IITA, um, for about 25 years now. And you work on crops that maybe quite unfamiliar to the average uh, member, the general public, uh, cassava. Indeed. Um, it's kind of strange uh, thinking that there's, there are people that find cassava an unusual crop because um, where I live in Africa, it's a hugely important crop. And in fact, it's, um, it's very important right across the tropics. Um, it comes from Latin America. Um, it's brought to Africa in about the 16th century. It's a, a root crop, um, and you can. It's a vegetatively propagated crop, so you can plant it from cuttings from an existing crop that you have. Um, it's very uh, adaptable, easy to grow in poor quality soils. Um, does quite well under dry conditions, um, and is grown in Africa by hundreds of millions of farmers. In fact. Yeah, in Africa, it's in terms of total production, it's the most produced crop in Africa. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of the importance of it. Given that it's that important, what would happen to the diet of the area in which it's grown if cassava uh, were not produced? Clearly, um, since it's extremely important in this way, that you know, if you have any constraints that impact on the amount of the crop that's produced then that has a big effect on you know tens to hundreds of millions of people um just i can add a few extra bits of information about the kind of crop it is so it's a it's um it's a tuberous root crop so um it produces in the soil um tuberous roots which are a little bit like um elongated sweet potatoes um and so you, you dig up the plant at harvest time, um, you peel um, and you boil and you can consume it much like 
you would consume a potato, so you can eat it. We, we call it fresh, so boil it uh, and eat it. Or, or quite often it's processed, so it can be um, dried, um, chopped into chips and stored. Um, it can be made into flour and used to make thick porridge. Um, so it's um, hugely important as a, a basic starchy staple for hundreds of millions of people in sub-Saharan Africa. So as I said, um, anything that happens to its production has a big impact on um, people who are in many cases um, you know, relatively poor um, in sub-Saharan Africa. What are the risks to cassava from insect pests and diseases? So cassava in Africa is, is affected by quite a diverse range of different um, insect pests and diseases. Um, not quite so many as in Latin America, which is where the crop came from. Obviously, it's been there for thousands of years, so there are many insect pests and diseases that have um, kind of grown up, if you like, with the crop and um, and uh, damage it uh, under certain circumstances. In Africa, we've got a smaller uh, set of uh, insect pests and diseases that affect it. Um, we have a couple of major insects. So we have something that we call cassava mealybug. Actually, this was introduced from Latin America. Um, and um, it spread through the continent, causing very heavy losses. Um, but fortunately, it was possible to overcome that through a biological control program. Um, another arthropod pest is the green mite. Again, this was introduced from Latin America in the 1970s. Um, unfortunately, probably through someone carrying it um, on infected or infested um, cutting material. Um, the other main problems that we face are virus diseases. Um, and there are two in particular which um, cause particularly severe losses. Um, one of them is called cassava mosaic disease. It's caused by a group of viruses which are called cassava mosaic begomoviruses. And another one is cassava brown streak disease. And this is caused by two species of virus, which we call cassava brown streak ipomoviruses. Now, it's thought that both of these groups of viruses are from Africa. So when cassava was brought here in the 16th century, um, it found these viruses here and uh, they started spreading um, through the crop as it was popularized um, in the early part of the 20th century. There's a long history now of growing cassava in this area, but in the recent years of that history, the population has exploded relative to the production of, of the crop. Uh, how then are we adapting to the, to the need for food security uh, to stabilize production and to protect what available production there is? Well, as you've rightly pointed out, as cassava has been recognized in Africa as a, a crop that can do well under very many circumstances and has spread and become more and more widely grown, um, the density of the crop has increased. And for pathogens such as viruses, clearly that makes it 
relatively easier for them to spread from plant to plant and from field to field. It's a little bit like um, the COVID-19 situation where you know, social distancing is, is promoted as a way of controlling spread of virus. It's a little bit the same thing with plants. Um, the more you have closer together, the more spread of virus occurs. So as cassavas become much more widely grown, um, as the population in, in the African continent has increased, um, these pathogens have um, been found it easier to spread, as I say, from plant to plant and from field to field. So this poses all of us who try to um, assure the productivity of cassava, um, it poses us a, a particular challenge. But uh, fortunately, you know, we've been able to make very good progress in responding to that challenge in several different ways. It's a bit like the situation where I live in New York State. Uh, there are tens of thousands of cases of COVID-19 in New York City. But in the area where I live in New York, which is 300 miles to the west, uh, people are outnumbered by dairy cows and white-tailed deer. And there are, are very few cases uh, in the area of New York where I live. No, it's actually a very good and a useful parallel to, to help people understand. Obviously, you know, people who are living in, let's say, Western Europe or North America, um, they might find cassava an unfamiliar um, plant. And they might not be too familiar with plant virus diseases, but, you know, everyone now knows all about COVID-19 and they know all about the, you know, the, the threat it poses in urban areas and densely populated areas. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite helpful to kind of carry over some of the understanding from this new virus pandemic threat that we face as, as humans to the threats that are posed to a crop like cassava. Um, and it's also interesting that some of the control approaches that we advocate are, you know, very much in line with the same kinds of approaches that are being advocated for management of COVID-19, um, including quarantine um, and so on. Is there any example of something like social distancing in cassava production? I think there is a very nice example of um, an experiment that we carried out recently to try to control cassava brown street disease. Um, maybe I can give you a little bit of background on, on this disease. So this is a virus disease that lives in cassava plants. Um, it may occur in other plants as well, but mainly it's living in cassava plants, which cover the landscape as any crop does, as, as wheat does in North America or maize. Um, cassava covers the landscape in a country like where I live in Tanzania. Um, now, the virus lives in those plants and it can be propagated from one generation to the next by a farmer using a stem from an infected plant. So if I'm a farmer and my field has infected plants and I use those stems that are infected to take cuttings and reestablish a new crop, which is what farmers would normally do, i.e. they would normally use cuttings from the previous crop to establish a new crop. If I use infected plants, the new crop will also be infected. So that's one way in which the disease is propagated. However, it can't move anywhere in that way. It's not going to increase. How it increases is also by being spread by an insect, which carries the virus from plant to plant. So if a plant is infected, 
and I have next to it another plant that's not infected, but there's an insect. Um, in this case, it's a white fly, um, which feeds on the infected plant and moves to the uninfected one. It will then carry the virus from the infected plant to the uninfected one. Now, we've found through research that the insects that carry the virus cannot carry it for very long. So they might only hold on to it for a um, matter of minutes. So if they decide to leave um, to fly, because they, they can fly significant distances, but if they decide to leave a crop and, and move in search of a, another, perhaps a, a younger, more tender crop, um, they're likely to lose the virus in a relatively short space of time over a short distance. This means that if I plant a crop more than a certain distance from an infected field, there's a good chance that my crop will stay healthy. So we have used this principle to design a management strategy at community level, which is a little bit like a kind of social distancing. Let's imagine that in our community, we get rid of all the virus. I suppose in a human example, it would be a bit like um, making sure that everyone who's infected is sent off to a, a quarantine location or sent to hospital. So we only have healthy people in our um, situation. In our case, we did something even more drastic. We removed all of the cassava plants in a whole community. So we mandated all of the farmers in that area to remove their plants but we had prepared a year in advance, so they were provided with alternative crops that could tide them over the, the period of difficulty whilst they didn't have cassava. Then we supplied those farmers with virus-free planting material of improved varieties. So all of a sudden, you now have a, a whole community who have planted virus-free planting material. And we were able to demonstrate the impact that that approach in terms of boosting the yields of the farmers in that community. Now, the yields that the, the yield benefits we were able to deliver were roughly a doubling. So farmers got double the production that they had had before. However, the process of getting to that point was extremely difficult. You can probably appreciate this is a you know huge kind of social exercise where you have to work with the community for a long period of time to explain everything. But um, it did work, and it's certainly something that we're still interested um, in trying to pursue um, on a larger scale. Because if you remove infected plants from an area and then replace those with healthy plants. And you make sure that they're distanced from neighboring communities. So this is like the social distancing. They cannot become infected. Now, if you could replicate that at scale, you could remove the virus in theory. Now, obviously, in practice, these things are difficult. But much as it's difficult to control you know, through uh, social distancing and quarantining, the spread of COVID-19 in New York City. Um, challenging um, issues, but um, certainly as we apply the principles, we can have significant impacts on the way that um, our viruses in plants spread. So even if you don't do it in, the, in a perfect way, you know, we can still, even with our cassava, we can have the, a similar kind of effect to flattening the curve, which is what is being done with COVID-19. Right. And we've done 
similar things with other diseases in human populations by different means through uh, universal vac- uh, vaccination. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. So, cassava is, is, has, is in a system where it's under multiple threats. And it would seem that for the, the grower of cassava, that one of the most valuable uh, services that we could provide would be assistance in identifying exactly what threat they are facing in a particular situation so that they correct, correctly identify the threat and then react appropriately to it. Correct. You know, this, this is um, a very important point. Um, and again, there are parallels with the COVID-19 situation. You know, we're told by the World Health Organization, test, test, test. Um, you know, we have similar parallels with our plant virus diseases. Um, if you don't know the problem that you're facing, it's very difficult to mount, um, you know, a sensible, um, well-managed control program. One of the particular issues that we're facing, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, is that farmers in rural areas have very little in the way of sources of information. Um, you know, many of them will not have um, ready extension services or um, researchers who, from whom they can get information about the diseases and pests that affect their crops. Um, their internet connectivity will be imperfect. Um, so it's not very straightforward for them to get advice on, you know, which particular pest or disease might be affecting one of their crops. So this is where we've put a, a lot of effort recently into trying to develop solutions that can help farmers in remote locations access information about some of the major pests and diseases of cassava. I was reading up a little bit on Nuru, the convolutional neural network. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we've been working together with Penn State University, uh, the team of David Hughes, um, who runs Plant Village. And they have been working for some time to develop um, artificial intelligence-based approaches to recognizing um, critically important pests and diseases of crops that affect farmers in developing countries. So a, a few years ago, we started working with their team um, and focusing on our area of specialism, which is the cassava virus diseases. And we were able to record images of thousands of leaves showing symptoms of the main types of damage that affect cassava. So symptoms of cassava mosaic virus disease, symptoms of cassava brown streak virus disease, and symptoms of cassava green mite damage, as well as examples of healthy um, unaffected leaves. And they were able to then go through a process of, of training computers through machine learning 
um, to recognize the characteristic symptoms of each of these diseases. Um, and this gave birth to the smartphone app called Nuru. So they teamed up also with a, uh, a private company in India called Hidden Brains, who were able to put, put together the smartphone app. Um, so it's now called Plant Village Nuru. And um, it's available on Google Play Store um, for free. You can download it. Um, and one of the wonderful things about it is that um, it functions offline. So any farmer or extension officer who has ac access to a smartphone can download the app. Um, obviously, they'll need to be connected to download the app. But once they've done that, then they can go to their field and they can use it to get instant diagnoses of the major um, virus diseases and also pest damage of cassava. Um, so this is obviously a, a game changer. Um, you know, it's, it's putting um, like an extension officer in the hands of farmers, putting a hugely valuable source of information in their hands. So as well as giving a diagnosis of, of the, the type of damage that's affecting the cassava, it will also provide information in the um, particular local language, um, in the, the locality where the farmers are coming from. Um, so there's information on how to manage um, the pest or disease. Um, there are also sets of images um, of the diseases, um, which are standard images, so that the farmer can then also compare um, the diagnosis that he or she has received with standard images. Um, and the farmer can also be connected to a network of other farmers. So they'll see neighbors who are also using the same system. Um, they can interact with um, researchers um, and people managing the system, such as myself even. So, you know, I, I could interact directly with farmers using it um, wherever. Um, and um, so this is a very powerful tool that I can see is going to have a very big impact in putting information into farmers' hands, helping them to diagnose the diseases and pests affecting their crops and providing them with the information they need on how best to manage those pests and diseases. This might actually restore the, re the damaged reputation of smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Nuru is a very valuable tool for diagnosing uh, the main pest and disease threats affecting cassava. However, um, you may say, well, if a farmer uses it and gets a diagnosis, what next? How do they use that information? One of the things that we're really excited about is linking this uh, ICT tool with another that we're also developing through IITA, which we call Sea Tracker. So, for example, in a country like Tanzania, we have a network of more than 400 commercial cassava seed producers who produce high-quality certified planting material of the latest, best, most disease-resistant cassava varieties. And they're being registered on Seed Tracker. And anyone who accesses the Seed Tracker website can see exactly where they are because they're all on a map. Now, what we're working towards is to having um, a user of Nuru who identifies a disease in his field being instantly able to identify 
the location of his nearest high-quality seed producer because the main solution to the cassava virus diseases is high-quality planting material free of disease of resistant varieties. So this helps us to link the diagnosis that's provided through Nuru with effective control that is coming from high-quality seed um, or planting material. The Nurus and Sea Tracker stories, I think, we, you know, we're super excited about them. Um, you know, we would like to be able to deliver them continent-wide. At the moment, you know, we're only really um, effectively delivering them in two countries. That's Tanzania and Nigeria. Um, but we think this is going to be a game-changer for cassava in Africa. So, you know, if we get the resources, you know, that's what we'll be trying to do. One of the things I do in my work is we use convolutional neural networks for high throughput phenotyping, for rating plants for their resistance to disease. And one of the things that is uh, interesting about these, these neural networks is that they are adaptable. Once you have developed the technology for, say, a particular crop and a particular disease, we, we work a lot with powdery mildew on, on wine grapes. That system is relatively easy to adapt to new groups of plants and new groups of challenges to those plants. Can the same thing be done with Nuru? Absolutely. And in fact, this is something that we are pushing for very strongly right now. Um, I would like to say that David Hughes and the Plant Village team are really playing the lead role in this at the moment. Um, and we are working with David and with something called the Roots, Tubers and Bananas program of the CGIAR. Now, IATA is one of the 15 international research centers of the Consultative Group on International Agricultural Research, which is CGIAR. Um, there are several programs within that, and one is the Roots, Tubers and Bananas program, <clears throat> which works on cassava, bananas, um, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and yams. And so the next step with Plant Village Nuru will be to broaden the coverage in exactly the way that you described um, of the approach of using these convolutionary neural networks and machine learning um, to identify diseases not just of cassava, but potatoes, sweet potatoes, bananas and yams and in fact we've already been fortunate enough to get some funding um, through the CGIAR's big data program to scale out the work of Plant Village Nuru, Nuru which will include an expansion of its application to other root tuber and banana crops. So again this is another very exciting develop development that we're going to be working on in the, um, the years ahead. For information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at plantopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradeen, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karate. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia. Plantopia.